Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumb Cast. In this, the high noon of season five, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West, the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 46 of The Weird Weird West. Today we follow our heroes on a strange path. And you're following me on a strange path in that I have decided, or at least gradually accepted, that I'm going to drink an entire pot of coffee over the course of this recording session. And I'm almost done. I'm alert. I'm awake. I'm hype. I'm ready. This would be great for a page where there's a lot that I'm allowed to talk about. This is not such a page. The secret Zoomers, you may recall, made a couple of nigh-impossible rolls as they traversed the overland map and noticed, against all odds, that the locations they were headed to seemed closer than they should have been in each instance. Not only did they notice that these locations seemed out of place, but they deduced that they were moving and further deduced the direction of that movement. To discover this, they had to get yellow results on those two nigh-impossible rolls, but of course they did because they could only succeed at those rolls with red results. In yet another instance of an awkward rule situation created by shots all around, the author not understanding the intensity rules. As the secret zoomers sort of half-heartedly pursued the middle part of this adventure where you go woo Alexander and Napoleon and Genghis Khan to all work together, they wandered on up to Alexander's camp partly because they found that the direction that everything was moving was up north on the western side of the map. After they got to Alexander's, they took more measurements, were able to triangulate, and determined that a mountain to the north was the apparent destination of all these very slowly moving camps and shacks and cities. On the way to investigate this, they did stop by Alexander's camp, they did impress Alexander with their ability to appreciate poems about trees, and with their ability to vanquish robot Mark Twain when he went berserk, after they called him out on getting a character's name wrong in front of a crowd. I understand, I I've spoken in public, sometimes you get something wrong, and someone tells you, and if you have the robot strength to do it, you pull down the tent on everyone's head and run away never to see them again. If you have social anxiety, which I seem to have in common with robot Mark Twain. After the secret Zoomers defeated the rampaging Twain bot, its head fell open and they found a blinking transmitter. They were able to analyze the transmitter and determine that it was broadcasting to a specific point in the mountains. Fortunately, that point was pretty much on our way to that other mountain that seems to be consuming space and time because, you know, we're not going to make a lot of side trips. We're not going to go by the corner store for snacks on our way to the mountain that's consuming space time. But if something is on our way, we can take a look. Let's not get so wrapped up in saving time and space that we forget to have fun along the way. Leave a little room on the itinerary. And so, on their way north to the mysterious mountain that is the center of all this, the secret Zoomers stop off at a cave in the mountains that they've identified as the point they're looking for. Here's the box text, quote, Ahead, you see what is apparently the destination of the signal that was being sent out by the Twain android, a shallow cave cut into the mountains. In front of the cave are two gleaming metallic soldiers that seem to be standing guard. If you're incapable of forming new memories, and have been since at least the beginning of this season of NBC, you may think, let's stealth our way past these guards into the cave. That would be a mistake. Quote, the heroes begin this encounter four areas away from the androids. Because of their special sensing equipment, it is impossible to come within three areas of an android and not be detected. That's right. Unlike anyone or anything else, these androids automatically foil all attempts at stealth. What a shock. The androids here are just as tough as Twainbot, which is to say, tough enough that conventional soldiers have no chance against them, tough enough that if gunslingers were here, they'd be having a rough time, but not so tough that a full-fledged super team is going to have too much difficulty. 
Now I have to paraphrase a lot of the rest of this. I have to be careful. This page is like a minefield of spoilers. So bear with me. You go into the cave. There's no one in the cave. There's some kind of device. It's variable how much player characters are going to be able to ascertain about this device. But for the sake of our coverage, I'll say the zoomers give it a once over and determine this seems like a time machine. And the time of origin indicator reads 1968. The zoomers also find in the cave, quote, a pile of black robes and hoods identical to those the heroes saw the mysterious strangers wearing in the Crozar compound. Aha! Black robes. There's no indication of how many are here. It says a pile, I assume at least six, because that's how many hooded figures we saw. This is a clue, the clumsiest possible clue, that the hooded figures at the Crozar camp are involved in this cave somehow. More on this later when we revisit oh so much of this book in the podcast Time Machine. Uh, we also find a table... And the table is covered in, quote, computer chips, masks, and costumes of various historical personalities. So somebody's dressing up as historical individuals, and somebody's doing electronics and or computer stuff. Thank you for the clue. I appreciate the computer chips. I did surmise that there was something technology-related, something electronic, something computerized happening here, since we have just reached three total computerized beings who have tried to kill us on the way here. The meaning of the masks and costumes is more uncertain, Twainbot was disguised as Mark Twain. He was not Mark Twain at all. He was just cosplaying Mark Twain. Presumably, these costumes are meant to be used for similar purposes. By whom? Other androids? Other non-androids? Are some of the historical figures we've already met imposters? Could it be that Alexander, Genghis Khan, and Napoleon are all fake cosplay bots, but the only bot we caught was Twainbot, because Twainbot is like the worst bot and got basic information about Mark Twain wrong? There's just no way to know and we have other business to attend to. We can't go back and, like, give the Blade Runner test to Alexander the Great to see if he's a replicant. Not sure what to make of this clue. Next, we find a computer console. It's got a map of the whole Dodge City area, and it has what the text calls blips at various places on the screen. I wish I could tell you more about these blips, but the information on this page is not enough for me to give you any more answers for reasons that we will revisit later in the podcast Time Machine. What I do know is that anybody who makes a remarkable intensity reason feat roll with this computer can find out, quote, almost anything about the area surrounding Dodge City, with one notable exception, which would be a spoiler. Barring maybe the location of the beta bomb, though, uh, which if we come here very early in the adventure, might be kind of a plot-breaking bit of information. This is, like, kind of exciting to have a computer that can tell us almost anything about this area, but what we're going to discover is that there is nothing interesting happening here, except impossible-to-miss plot points. But anyway, it's a computer and we get to use it good for us. Uh, we also find a bunch of burned out electronic equipment, and we find, quote, a pile of notes, one of which reads, I think I have finally located the creature. At last, the universe is mine. That's all there is to this scene. You get 10 karma for finding the cave, you get 10 karma for defeating the guards, and the aftermath just says, quote, the heroes can now go on about their business. If they're ready to travel back to Einstein's shack, go to chapter 26. Basically, what it's saying is, we don't know how you got here, we don't know where you're going, but that's it. That's a wrap on Android Cave, everybody out. Now, there are lots of good candidates for Dumbest Thing on this page, but they're pretty much all top secret. They're all spoilers, and despite my caffeinated state, I have enough tolerance for delayed gratification to hold my tongue and wait for the day coming soon when we can hop in the podcast time machine and I can explain to you how fucking ridiculous this adventure has been all along. Until then, let me identify as the dumbest public information on this page, the pile of notes, with one that reads, I think I have finally located the creature, at last the universe is mine. It's not too much of a spoiler to say this note is as silly as it sounds. We know that this is not just a, a brief lapse into self-congratulation in an otherwise like scientific and useful record of events, research, because if that kind of information were here, we'd be able to read it. 
Whatever else is in this pile of notes, it's not of interest, because it's not even mentioned here. The only salient note here is, I think I have finally located the creature, at last the universe is mine, which I take to mean that the rest of these notes are similar, like aspirational or self-congratulatory memos, like kind of an evil vision board that the evil owner has not yet quite assembled and put up on the wall. And it just so happens that this one mentions a creature, and that's like a little clue. The rest of this is just, I'm so evil, go me. I can't fully explain, based on who wrote these, the situation they're in, and what they're up to, just how funny this is to me, but I think even the version that you're getting, it's pretty goofy. It's pretty goofy to go into what is obviously an evil lair and just find, like, a post-it note that says, at last the universe is mine, smiley face, like hung up on the bathroom mirror, so that the evil mastermind gets a little boost of self-esteem in the morning. Very dumb, very cute, and my god, I had better turn off this recording equipment before I literally burst and spill all the secrets of this scene to you right now. Join me next time, when all of our heroes' paths converge for the last time, as indeed everything in the universe converges, on the mysterious mountain on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening.